Chapter 12 of A Man Obsessed by Alan E. Norse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12 The needle moved, probed ever so slightly, stimulating deep, deep in the soft, fragile tissue, seeking, probing, recording. A twinge, the barest trace of shock, a sharp series of fiery nerve cells, a flicker of light, a picture. Jeff Meyer shifted, his eyelids lowering very slightly, and a muscle in his jaw began twitching involuntarily. He was floating gently on his back, resting on huge, fluffy, billowing clouds. He didn't know where he was, nor did he care. He just lay still, spinning gently, like a man in freefall, feeling the gentle clouds around him pressing him downward and downward. His eyes were closed tightly, so tightly, that no ray of light might leak in. He knew as he floated that, whatever happened, he dare not open them. But then there were sounds around him. He felt his muscles tighten and he clasped his chest with his arms. There were things floating through the air around him, and they were making little sounds tiny squeaks and groans. He shuddered, suddenly horribly afraid. The noises grew louder and louder, whispering into his ear, laughing at him. He opened his eyes with a jolt, staring at the long, black, hollow tunnel he was falling through. He was spinning, end over end, faster and faster down the tunnel. He strained to see through the darkness to the bottom, but he couldn't. Then the laughter started first little, quiet giggles, quite near his ear, but growing louder and louder, unpleasant laughs, chuckles, guffaws. They followed each other, peal upon peal of insane laughter, reverberating from the curved tunnel walls, growing louder and louder, more and more derisive. They were laughing at him, whoever they were, and their laughs rose into screams in his ears. Then to gain silence he was forced to scream out himself, and he clasped his hands to his ears and shut his eyes tight, and abruptly the laughter stopped. Everything stopped. He lay tense, listening. No, not everything. There were some sounds. Somewhere in the distance he could hear the bzz-bzz-bzz of a cicada. It sounded sharp in the summer night air. He rolled over, felt the crisp sheets under him, the soft pillow, the rustling of the light blanket. Where? And then it came to him clearly. He was in his room, waiting, waiting and expecting. Daddy! Quite suddenly he knew that Daddy had come home. There had been no sound in the dark house. He hadn't even heard the jet car go into the garage, nor the front door squeak. But he had known, just the same, that Daddy was here. He blinked at the darkness, and little chills of fright ran up his spine. It was so dark, and he didn't like the dark, and he wished Daddy would come up and turn on the light. But Daddy had said ever since Mommy died that he must be a brave little man, even if he was only four. He lay and shivered. There were other noises, outside the window, in the room, frightening noises. It was all very well to be a brave little man, but Daddy just didn't understand about the dark and the noises. 
and Daddy didn't understand about how he wanted somebody to hold him close and cuddle him and whisper to him. And then he heard Daddy's step on the stair and felt him coming nearer. He rolled over and giggled, pretending to be asleep. Not that he'd fool Daddy for a minute. Daddy would already know he was awake. They played the same game night after night. But it was fun to play little games like that with Daddy. He waited, listening, until he heard the door open and the footsteps reach his bed. He heard Daddy's breathing, and then he rolled over and threw the covers off and jumped up like a little white ghost, shouting, Boo! Did I scare you, Daddy? And then Daddy took him up on his shoulders and laughed and said he was a big white horse come to carry little Jeff on a long journey. So they took the long journey down to the study for milk and cookies, just as they always did when Daddy came home. He knew Daddy didn't want any milk, of course. Daddy never drank milk at night with him. Daddy was much more interested in the funny cards, the cards he had watched Daddy make that day a year ago. Daddy had him run through them over and over and over. Circle, spiral, figure eight, letter B, letter R. It was a letter R, Daddy, but it couldn't have been, I know. Oh, you're trying to catch me. Can we play with the marbles now, Daddy? Or the dice tonight? The round-cornered ones. They're much easier, you know." But Daddy would watch him as he read the cards, wrinkling up his nose and calling out the figure. And he would see Daddy mark down each right one and each wrong one. And then he would feel Daddy almost beaming happiness and satisfaction. And he would wait eagerly for Daddy to get out the dice because they were so much more fun than the cards. The square-cornered dice, Daddy! Oh, Daddy, they're so much harder! Oh, another game? A new one? Oh, good, Daddy! Teach me a new game with them, please! I'll try very hard to make them come out right!" And then, after the new game, Daddy told him a story before bed. It was one of his funny stories, where he talked the story but put in all the fun and jokes and private things without any words. It was funny. None of the others, like Marianne down the block, could feel their daddies like he could. Sometimes he wondered about it. He would tell Marianne about it as a special secret, but she wouldn't believe him. Nobody can hear their daddies without their daddies talking, she said, but he knew better. And then there were thoughts creeping through his mind feelings coming from Daddy that were uncomfortable feelings. He sat up suddenly in Daddy's arms and felt the chill pass through him. "'Daddy?' "'Yes, son?' "'Why—why why are you afraid, Daddy? What are you afraid of?' And Daddy laughed and looked at him in a strange way and said, "'Afraid? What do you mean, afraid?' But the afraidness was still there. Even when he went to bed and Daddy left him again, he could still feel the afraidness. And then, abruptly, he was swinging into a vast, roaring whirlpool that swung around his head. He felt his body twisting in the blackness, swirling about, carried along without effort. He knew, somehow, that he was Jeff Meyer, and he knew that the needle was there, probing in his mind. He could feel it approach and withdraw. He could feel the twinge of recognition, the almost intangible sudden awareness and realization of a truth. Then the seeker was gone, 
the probe finished in that area and moved on to the next. The whirlpool was a tunnel of rushing water, swinging about him, whirling him with lightning speed up, 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 around, then down with a sickening rush. Then up again, as though he were riding the wall of death in a circus, around and around, yet always drawing him in closer, closer, closer. To what? He knew he was fighting it, twisting with all his strength to fight against the impossible whirlpool which choked and carried him like a feather. He clenched his fists and fought, gritting his teeth, desperate, suddenly horribly afraid, more horribly afraid than he had ever been in his life. Down at the end of the tumultuous whirlpool something lay, something horrid and ugly, something that had been wiped out of his mind, scoured out and disposed of long, long ago. It was something he dared not face, never again. Suddenly Jeff screamed and tried to force his mind back to that place. He tried desperately to remember, tried to see where the whirlpool was leading him before it was too late, before it killed him. Something lay down there, waiting for him. It was more hideous than his mind could imagine, something which could kill him. Closer and closer he swept, helpless, his mind growing rigid with fear, fighting, blood rushing through his veins. But he couldn't escape that closed, frantic alleyway to death. Daddy was afraid. The thought screamed through Jeff's mind with the impact of a lightning bolt. It paralyzed his thoughts, tightened his muscles into rigid knots. Daddy was afraid, 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 so horribly afraid. The thought swept through him, congealing his blood. He cried out, shaking his head, trying to fight away the seeping stench of deadly fear, trying to clear it out of his mind. His face twisted in agony and his whole body wrenched. Suddenly he was screaming and pounding his face against the ground. He was alone and his mind was racked and obsessed by that horrible fear. He opened his eyes and saw the turf under his head. Dimly, through the pain sweeping through his mind, he saw the grassy meadow on which he lay, completely by himself. The little singing brook was a few feet away. The afternoon sun was high, but the willow tree hung over him, covering him with cool shade. From somewhere a bird was singing. "'Daddy!' The word broke from his lips in a small scream, and he sat bolt upright, his hair tousled, his small, keen-featured eight-year-old face twisted with the pain and fear that tore through his mind. Some corner of his brain, so very remote, told him that he was not eight, that he was a grown man. But he saw his tiny hands, grubby with the dirt of the barnyard and lane through which he had walked in coming here. He had been driven here by the pain and fear and hatred that had been streaming into his mind. It was Daddy. He knew it was Daddy, and Daddy was afraid. Daddy was running, with the desperation of a hunted animal, running down a corridor, his mind in a frenzy of fear. He was peering back over his shoulder, his breath coming in great gasps as he reached the end of the hall, wrenched vainly at the door, and then collapsed against it. And while he sobbed in great gasps, Tears of fear and desperation ran down his cheeks. 
He saw the door, he felt Daddy's body heaving, heard the furious pulse pounding in his own head. He saw the cold, darkened corridor, and his mind was picked up in the frenzied sweep of his father's thoughts, carried in a rush he could neither understand nor oppose. Stronger than ever before, his thoughts were Daddy's thoughts. He saw through Daddy's eyes, he felt through Daddy's body. In the closest rapport they had ever known, though Jeff lay here on the grassy plot, his body writhed with the pain and fear that Daddy was suffering miles distant. "'They're coming!' his mind screamed. "'Trapped! Trapped! What can I do?' Daddy was racing back up the corridor now, his eye catching an elevator standing open. He ran inside, groped frantically for the switch. He had to get away, had to get down below, somehow get to the street. Oh, God, what a mistake to walk into this place, an office building of all places, where they could so easily follow him in, cut him off, trap him. Why had he come? Why? He'd known they were hunting for him, knew they'd be getting closer and closer. But how could he have sensed that this day would bring a panic, that the stock market would take its nosedive this one particular day, putting the finger on him without any question? spotting him, pointing out his exact location to his hunters, beyond shadow of a doubt. How could he have known? This was to have been the final test, the test to prove the force he had in his mind, the force which had been destroying and destroying and destroying. And it had emanated from his own mind in some unspeakable way, uncontrolled, unbelieved, and misunderstood. It was the force which had brought the hunters to him. But not now! Oh, please, please, not now! Not when he was so close to the answer! Not when he was so close! Slowly, helpless anger seethed through his mind. They had no right to stop him now. In another day, another week, he could have the answer. In another few days, he would have corralled this frightening power, controlled it. He knew he could find the answer. He stood on the very brink. But now the hunters had trapped him. "'Why, Daddy? Why are they hunting you? Oh, Daddy, Daddy, please, I'm so scared. Please, Daddy, come home. Please don't be so much afraid, Daddy. I'm so frightened.' The elevator gave a lurch. He fell against the door as the car ground to a halt between floors. Frantically, he pounded the button, waited through long eternities as the car sat, silent, motionless. Then his fingers ran hastily along the cracks in the car door, seeking a hold, trying desperately to wrench open the locked door. He felt them coming, somewhere above him, somewhere below him. Then something tore loose in his mind, some last dam of control broke, and he was screaming his defiance at them screaming his hatred, his bitterness. They had him. They were going to kill him without trial, shoot him down like a mad dog. He felt them flinch and cower back at the stream of hatred roaring out of his mind, felt them move back. They were afraid of him, but they were determined to kill him. A sound above. He flattened back against the elevator wall, wrenching at the metal grating with superhuman strength, trying to twist open the metal, to find some way into the shaft below. Someone was coming down from above, down onto the top of the elevator. 
someone whose mind was filled with fear, but who moved with determination. There was a scraping sound from above, a dull twang of cable striking against cable. They could be cutting the car loose. He leaped for the ceiling of the car, stabbing up with his fingers for the little escape doorway. Sheer hatred drove his legs as he jumped and jumped again, until the door flew up. His hands caught the rim and he dragged his body up. He jerked his shoulders through the small opening, heaving and lunging through to the top of the car. He looked up. He saw a face, a single face, hanging mistily above him. Dimly he made out the form of a man hanging on the cable twenty feet above. His legs were wrapped around the cables, and one hand carried the small, dully gleaming weapon. His mind screamed hatred at the man, and he grabbed at the cables, wrenching them, shaking them like a huge tree. He saw the man slowly moving down, spinning back and forth helplessly as the cables vibrated. But he held on tenaciously, moving closer. "'Daddy! Stop him! Daddy! Don't let him kill you!' The face came into clearer view. A thin face, an evil one, twisted with fear and pain. The figure moved slowly down the cables, slowly turning, lifting the arm with the weapon, patiently trying to take aim. It was a gaunt face, with high cheekbones, slightly bulging eyes, high flat forehead, graying hair. "'Remember that face, Jeff. Never forget that face. That face is the face of the man who is butchering your father." Hatred streamed out at the face. He crouched back against the wall of the shaft, wrenching at the cables, trying vainly to shake the killer loose. He had to get him first, he had to stop him. He's so close, he's turning, the gun is raising, I'll never get him. The face, hovering close, eyes wide, the face of a ghoul and below the face was the dull, round hole of the gun muzzle, just inches away. A finger tightened. A horrible flash came, straight in the eyes. Daddy! The thought screamed through his mind, the bitter, naked hatred, the hatred of madness, streaming out in one last searing inferno. Then came a sickening lurch, a lurch of maddened fear and hate and there was the snuffing out of a light, leaving darkness. "'Daddy! No, Daddy! No! I can't feel you any more, Daddy! What have they done to you? Oh, please, Daddy, talk to me! Talk to me! No, no, no! Oh, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy!' Dr. Schimmel looked up from the pale, prostrate form after a long time. His forehead was beaded with sweat. The color had drained almost completely from Jeff's face, and his skin had taken a waxy cast. His breathing was so shallow it was hardly audible in the still room, and the panel of flickering lights had become almost completely still. "'We can't go on yet,' said Dr. Schimmel, his voice hoarse. "'We'll have to wait.' He turned and walked across the room, trying to keep his eyes away from the prostrate form on the bed. Yet everywhere he went it seemed his eyes caught the idiotic stare in the man's blank eyes. "'We'll have to wait,' he repeated, and his voice was almost a sob. 
End of chapter 12